Adam Howell wrote, Modern scholars who follow the exegetical patterns and interpretations of the apostles have the surest footing in finding Christ. Join Adam Howell and Caleb Niedemeyer for a discussion about Adam Howell's dissertation. This is Oaks of Righteousness Podcast. Welcome back to Oaks of Righteousness Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Niedemeyer. I'm joined here uh, by Adam Howell. Um, Ryan Hanley is is out and about on the, the company credit card, so hopefully he doesn't, he doesn't max <laughs> us out and uh, we have to shut it down for good. But Adam and Ryan were out on excursions into the Grand Canyon and out with uh, family, so good to have Adam finally back and we'll, we'll hopefully get back on track here with putting episodes back up for all you listeners, all probably two of you that actually want to listen to this. So, Family and friends. That's right. That's right. But today I want to uh, just kind of talk to Adam about his dissertation and even a little bit about uh, the Grand Canyon and his time out there just to see. I think, Adam, that was your first time in the Grand Canyon or out west. Or? Yeah, no, I had, we took a trip when I was little out to the out to the west coast, and we hit the Grand Canyon on the way through. Um, we didn't go down in it; we were on the rim, which is a, I told Liz is a whole different kind of majesty. Like they're both being down in the canyon and being on the rim, or mm. it's like two two facets of the same diamond. They're both equally majestic just in different ways so I didn't remember much about the rim but I'd been there before and then now having been down on the river was a, a new experience but yeah yeah, yeah it was awesome. a lot of fun a lot of fun yeah I don't know if you've been to, to Colorado with the, the Rocky Mountains or whatever but like being in Denver seeing up on seeing the mountains is cool but then you get up there and you're like snowboarding down it's just a whole it's like a whole different ball game. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, if that's we 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 stopped in Denver as well, but we didn't. Um, I don't remember much of that either. Yeah. I try to block uh, family <laughs> vacations out of my. <laughs> out of my that's good. No, so uh, talk a little bit about about the Grand Canyon stuff that you've learned. Maybe even I don't know if they did devotions or that was something that you guys had to do on your own time or I, I don't know what the yeah. The trip was um, yeah, all that's good. We It was a great trip. Um, the trip was, uh, put a little plug in here, the trip was uh, sponsored by Answers in Genesis, um, and it's called a Christian Leaders Trip that they sponsor for uh, seminary professors and PhD students uh, each year. And um, the uh, the group that we went down the river with is called Canyon Ministries. If you look those guys up, um, I would say to any Christian family that's wanting to go to the Grand Canyon, either on a rim tour or uh, on the river to look those guys up, Canyon Ministries. They offer just a Christian perspective on on the canyon. So, you know, any conventional perspective on the canyon is going to say that the Colorado River cut this canyon over millions and millions of years. And um, the evidence just simply does not support that. And um, even the conventional evolutionist model of, of the canyon is starting to have trouble explaining that. And, you know, I've got... Answers in Genesis has hundreds of videos that can kind of help you think through that if you want to. But anyway, that was kind of the, the goal of our trip was to to see the canyon, to see the, the evidence for a worldwide flood um, as we you know look at the layers of sedimentary rock that were deposited during the flood, um, to kind of see how quickly layers like that can be um, deposited and become rock. 
Um, so it was a lot of geology, which I've not had before. Um, my undergraduate degree was in microbiology and chemistry, so I can follow a lot of the science of evolution versus creation, and I know what's going on there. Um, but with rocks, I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> and so, so we, um, it was a very good trip in that respect too, to just see the science. And one thing Ryan and I have have talked about before, and he may mention this too if you uh, ask him about it, but with the the whole creation versus evolution debate and and young earth versus old earth creationists, um, you know, one of the things that we have struggled with is is some of the science from the young earth perspective just seems uh, kind of chintzy. Mm -hmm. And and that was not the case on this trip. Um, Dr. John Whitcomb and Dr. Andrew Snelling were on the trip with us and both of those guys uh, were just presenting excellent, excellent science from a geological rock perspective. So it was, it was good to just see solid science happening. I see um, what you did there with the solid and the rock. You like that? that yeah, that was good. good. That, that was good. good. <laughs> I, I try to work my puns in uh, from time to time. So, so yeah, good trip. As far as like uh, just the spiritual nature of the trip, uh, say devotionals, we, we did have group devotionals from time to time. Um, Marcus Lehman actually um, uh, actually uh, led us in worship. They had like little pamphlet hymnals that we would have, and we would pass them around the circle. And um, he led us uh, in worship uh, each not each morning, but at various times. There were certain places where we were in um, we were in like big kind of amphitheater cavern type mm-hmm. things that would mm-hmm. echo beautifully, and and we would all sing together. Um, uh, the trip was rather international. There were a lot of guys from different uh, countries on the trip. And at one point, um, I was telling Liz this last night when we got um, to the section of the river where it's the narrowest. It's like 76 feet wide. And they call it the granite, uh, uh, they call it the granite something. The granite caverns or the granite straits. I don't know what they call it. But anyway, just granite rock straight up on both sides. And it's just 76 feet wide. And um, we uh, got in there, and the way the current is running, you won't bump into the edges. So they um, tied both boats together, turned both motors off, and we're just kind of floating down this little section. And uh, the guy from Britain um, stood up and and read. They had him read Genesis 1 and 2 um, while we were just floating through there. I mean, it was just phenomenal, yeah. you know. So uh, in addition to uh, just our personal devotion times, um, that we would work in when we could. We, we had things like that that just really made the, the trip special. Um, one, other, one other time, uh, we were in a section of the canyon that was, it was a side canyon, so we'd, we had gotten off the boats and were hiking, and Dr. Bill Barrick uh, from the Master's Seminary yeah, yeah. was um, giving us a devotion that day at that, at that time, and one of the things they brought out about the trip and about the canyon was that it's a, a graveyard, that it's it's evidence of judgment. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when we look at these sedimentary layers that, that the model claims were laid down by the flood, you're looking at a catastrophic worldwide judgment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we look at the beauty and the majesty of the Grand Canyon all the time, and, and it never, ever crossed my mind that this is what we're looking at is evidence of a worldwide catastrophic judgment um, due to God's anger against humankind. Mm. So you just, that was weighty 
to make it even more weighty, he 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 brought out the aspect of the weight of these layers on top of one another. Um, and there's a section where we were that you actually can, you'll have to watch the videos to make it make sense, but there's a, where we were in the side canyon, there's a place where you can literally put your hand across the, the rocks that at your thumb level, they would claim, the model claims those are the rocks of the original creation. And at your pinky level, those are the rocks that were initially laid down by the flood. And, and you move from like a crystalline metamorphic rock to a sedimentary rock. That's how they can tell the difference. This one's solid, hard. It's been here for thousands of years. This one is laid down with layers as, as if like currents under the water would have laid it down. So you can literally put your hand there. And so kind of what you see according to the model is the very first layer of the judgment of the flood and then shooting up thousands of feet above that is, is the weight of this judgment, you know, with various layers going up. And so he just put it in the perspective of the weight of our sin, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we, we could not carry, you know, for us to be crushed between those layers of rocks, you know, we, we can't bear that judgment and yet Christ bore it for us. Um, and then from that point to the end of the canyon, we, um, the end of the side canyon, uh, we walked that in silence, just contemplating those truths and, we get to the very end of that side canyon and there's this little trickle of a spring that Dr. Barrick just said reminds him of, of the living water that we mm-hmm. have in Christ. And so they did a really good job of, of bringing those spiritual elements, those affectional elements together um, while we're looking at rocks. You know, I mean, who does that? You know? <laughs> so so it, was, it was really well done. And that's, I would say, if you go to the Grand Canyon and, and you've got a Christian family... Um, I think anywhere from eight years old up can, can go on these trips. Mm-hmm. I look those guys up. Canyon Ministries, Answers in Genesis uh, is a great trip to go on. Yeah, so. that sounds awesome. One aspect that you were telling me about that I thought was really cool was was the moon and how oh, yeah. at, at night it's just, I don't know, I don't know you, you'll have to describe it because I've, I've never been in the canyon there with, with that. But it's just interesting that even in Genesis it says that the lesser light to rule the night, but I think your experience was, I don't really see the lesser part. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know that I can even describe it, to be honest with you, because it, um, the moon was nutso. I mean, (laughs) everybody, it was like, it'd be two in the morning and the moon is shining and we're all sitting up in our cots looking at one another like, are you asleep? No. (laughs) You asleep? No. All right. Well, the moon's out. (laughs) And that really, it was, it was like the the sun was out. I mean, we, you didn't have to, you didn't need a flashlight. You didn't, it just, the moon was bright. When the moon came out, you couldn't see the stars anymore. You know, just like city lights, you can't see the stars. Yeah, we all were just reminded of, and and I guess most of us probably experienced for the first time, like the, the ruling of the moon in the night sky. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, in the city, we see it, it's real bright. Oh, that's fantastic, you know. But man, out there, it's like no, that really is. It's it's a lesser light for sure because it's not uh, it's not the sunlight. It is a lesser light, but it still rules the night. And so we were just like, man, that's good stuff right there. Uh, yeah, it's the moon. Look at that. It's, don't stare directly at it. It's too bright. That's crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, I'd like to transition into uh, discussing a little bit about your dissertation and 
I, I had the opportunity to read a few pages of it, and I, I enjoyed the beginning. Before you fell asleep? Well, uh, no, <laughs> I, I actually didn't fall asleep reading reading that uh, the, the dissertation. I fell asleep reading another book. Mm. But, um, so you kept me awake. Good. No, I have to admit that I don't know any of the Hebrew, so I had to skip over those and read your English translations. So it's Aramaic, so uh, yeah, that too. Yeah. See, I don't even know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't. It's the same script. Nice. Um, and I took out all the vowel pointings because Microsoft Word doesn't know what to do with uh, the SBL fonts. So, man, you yeah. need to get on that. Yeah, that's why it took me four years to write it because I was trying uh, yeah. to figure out how to write fonts. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, just for those who don't know exactly the process of getting a PhD or even having a desire to get into that, just walk us through, I know when you came into your MDiv, you wanted to do your PhD because you want to teach long term, so you you needed that PhD, but just take us through that that thought process and the, the qualification process of getting into a program like that. And then also with that, how you decided on Old Testament? Okay, um, so when I my personal story might be a little different than others. When I came to seminary, my intention was to get the PhD. So, like I in in my undergraduate, I tutored a biology class, found that I loved teaching, wanted to teach the things that are most important in the world, namely the scriptures, and so I intend I came to seminary with the goal of PhD. So it wasn't like a you know, a, a growing process in seminary to decide, okay, I'm going to do a PhD. That's, I came in ready to do that. Um, that was my goal. I intended at the very beginning to go into systematic theology. That was what I was wanting to do. Um, have a deep love and appreciation for Dr. Bruce Ware and, um, wanted to study under him and, and had, uh, systematics in mind. You know, that was kind of the big picture incorporating biblical studies, historical studies, all of it, boom, into systematic theology. So that was my goal. Then throughout my time at uh, <clears throat> at Southern, took Hebrew with uh, Dr. T.J. Betts. For whatever God-ordained reason, I fell in love with Hebrew. I mean, <laughs> absolutely loved it. And to this day, I cannot explain to people why it's so fun and fascinating and interesting to me. And uh, so then throughout those years of seminary, I was in touch with Dr. Ware and would meet with him from time to time. And uh, you know, just talk about how are things going good? What classes do you think I need to take in order to get into the PhD program in systematics and yada, 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 Well, in some of those conversations, it came out that how much I love Hebrew and I'm kind of thinking maybe Old Testament. And he said something to me. He said, I'm trying to think, I have to paraphrase it, but he said, there aren't many people who describe Hebrew the way you have described Hebrew, like a love mm-hmm. for it. And so he said, that has to count for something. And so that was, that was really the moment for me that I was like, okay, Old Testament it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that was the, the, the departure from systematics to Old Testament. And so, yeah, then from, from then on out, it was just focusing on Hebrew language, um, finding a supervisor. I had talked to Dr. Betts cause I had been, uh, grading, uh, grading for him as a TA for, for years. And he said for language, I would want to studied with Dr. Fuller. Uh, Dr. Betts is more of a history and uh, archaeology guy. He knows the languages very well, but, um, yeah. but you know, was saying for language particularly, it'd be good to study with Russell Fuller. And so um, started talking to him and he said, yeah, let's do it. And um, of course there's, 
entrance exams that uh, you have to answer questions, essay questions, and uh, language, uh, Hebrew language stuff to just make sure that you're competent with all of that before you begin. Um, so did all of that, got in. Dr. Fuller said he would take me as a student, and, and off we go. Um, at Southern, we do two years of classwork. Uh, some, some schools, uh, they just jump right into the dissertation process. Um, talked to a couple of guys in the Grand Canyon. I think that's the way the Master's Seminary does it. Um, a lot of European schools, that's, that's kind of the standard model there. Um, but we have two years of coursework, and we have kind of a major and two minor areas. My major area was Hebrew language or Old Testament languages. I did Hebrew and Aramaic. And then the um, minors, uh, what were my minors? Uh, it was all Old Testament. So Old Testament theology was one, and then Old Testament literature was the other. Um, so that was, um, those, those were kind of the areas and like the coursework that I took. Then after that, we take, um, comprehensive exams and those are comprehensive exams. It's, uh, I hear those are pretty easy. They are. They're not. Yeah. They're, they're pretty, pretty <laughs> piece of cake actually. Um, no, that, those were some fun nights. I think, uh, the night before my, uh, Hebrew comprehensive exam, I was, uh, I was up at three thirty in the morning flipping Hebrew vocabulary cards. Oh my goodness. Um, we, uh, Dr. Fuller gave me a, a vocabulary book, which we had used in classes as well, but um, it's Richard Landis's uh, Hebrew vocabulary. We can, uh, you can probably find a link to that uh, in our in our blog and purchase that if you want to. Um, it, it actually is a fantastic way to learn vocabulary. Um, that entire book covers uh, Hebrew words that occur ten times or more uh, in the Hebrew Bible. And um, it's rather discouraging because you get to the end of that book having learned a couple thousand words and you realize that you've only learned about 20% of the words that occur in the Hebrew Bible. So, uh, yeah. Um, now, the caveat to that is it doesn't include... Um, it doesn't include place names, proper names, which, I mean, if you think about genealogies and distribution of the land uh, in yeah. Joshua, all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of words that only occur once, and it's a name, and so you you don't have to really deal with it. And if you can learn everything from 10 occurrences and more in the Hebrew Bible, then you're doing pretty well. Yeah, yeah you can you can pretty much sit down and, and make your way through the Hebrew Bible. So... So yeah, comprehensive exams, and then um, and then you're kind of at the writing stage at that point. Present a prospectus to your uh, supervisor. Um, the prospectus gets presented to the faculty, and then they um, they approve that. And then once all of that's approved, you're you're off to the races with writing. It took me um, from that point. It took me about four years, three and a half years, to write the actual dissertation. Um, we adopted our son Judah uh, during that time frame, so we had already decided that um, once comprehensive exams were over, we were going to begin the adoption process. We were just kind of waiting for comps to be done. That was, I think, literally the day after comps were over, we started filling out adoption applications because we were ready, you know, that we were ready to do that. And so, um, had a couple of hiccups in in the adoption process. Nothing. Nothing like major. I mean, there are plenty of people who have had much worse problems, but a couple of hiccups drew it out a little bit. And, you know, with just life, family, uh, we got pregnant during the adoption. So, um, you know, with all of that going on, it just drew out the dissertation, and I don't I don't regret that at all. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of the process. And then uh, 
uh, you know, after that, it's just a matter of uh, presenting something to your supervisor that's acceptable. That can be challenging or not. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I will say that with all of the distractions, and uh, distractions is not a good word, with all of the other things we had going on in life, there were plenty of times, a few times that I presented stuff that uh, yeah, it just wasn't up to par. And uh, Dr. Fuller helped me work through that. And, uh, and so, yeah, finally got done with it. And, I, you know, I feel like with I finished out with a project that for me personally was very enriching. I know some dissertations can be as dry as a bone, but when it comes to, uh, for my purposes, when it comes to seeing Christ in all of the scriptures, I want to be very careful with things like topology and echoes and allusions. And I just want to be very careful uh, with flippant, I don't, I don't like the word flippant, but with, with drawing conclusions about Christ in the Old Testament that might just be a little bigger leaps than, um, than I'm comfortable with, mm. without a textual warrant or without right. some kind of good conclusive evidence. You know, you see this word red here in the Old Testament and you're like, oh, well, red is the color of blood that must represent the blood of Christ. And you know, we say, oh, well, we don't do that anymore in modern evangelical studies, but no, we do. And I've heard plenty of guys that do that. And um, I just want to be very careful with those kinds of things because certainly the, the Holy Spirit is the single author of Scripture who superintended all of it and, and draws connections um, between the two Testaments that, um, you know, would, would, would baffle our minds. But... Um, you know, that uh, we're fallible, we're humans, and, and I, you know, I want to be very careful with stuff like that. And so the Targums, uh, you know, I've, I've tried to make a case in my dissertation that the Targums being traditions that were available in the first century can help us to see how the New Testament authors may have understood some of the Old Testament texts um, and, and then used some of that language from the Targums to speak about Jesus and um, you'll have to buy it it's actually not on sale anywhere but um, yeah, you'll have to get you'll have to get it to read the whole thing and, and kind of see how that plays out I, I couldn't go through all of it right now I mean I could but it would take way too long <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah that the, the main project being to find Christ in all of scriptures but hermeneutically using a textual warrant and having a historical grammatical reason for drawing those conclusions in, in a sense, following in the footsteps of the apostles and how they seem to have been reading the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, their scriptures, you know, um, they wouldn't have been flippant with it, you know, and, and Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, would not have been flippant with the scriptures. Mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't fleshed all of this out to its fullest extent, but I'm not... Some of the places where the New Testament authors appear to be really innovative with their hermeneutic, um, I'm not so sure. I, I think that they are presenting a hermeneutic that, um, in a lot of places, if not all, is rather consistent with the Targumic synagogue interpretation. And the funny thing is, a lot of the language that the New Testament authors use, um, especially the words that I looked at in my dissertation, they uh, those terms drop out of later rabbinic literature, and uh, just for example, one of those words is the Aramaic memra, which means the word. Uh, and this character functions as an agent for God and a manifestation of God. And so, you know, rather than saying that Yahweh 
acted in the created order because obviously Yahweh is a spirit. Um, we believe that too. God is a spirit, infinite and eternal and unchangeable. You know, just go through the catechism. He can't physically act in the created order. So, you know, the, the rabbinic model created this agent of God, similar to the angel of the Lord, who would carry out the active functions of God in the world. Well, they named that character the word of the Lord. <laughs> so, you know, John comes in and says, I know that guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I had dinner with him last night. And so now that John calls Jesus the word, the Jews are like, whoa, 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 whoa. that's not what we meant by that. Mm-hmm. And thus the terminology falls out of later rabbinic literature Interesting. because they don't want to see that. They're not going to make that same connection that John did, you know. So, so anyway, I could go on and on uh, about that. It was just remarkably fascinating. But uh, again, the impetus to find Christ in all of scripture so that Christ is preeminent in our lives, our hearts, um, and but then carefully, hermeneutically, to have a, a, a historical grammatical warrant for finding that those connections um, is just remarkably helpful for me. What would you say, uh, just thinking through the process and and thinking of your affections towards this, was the the pre writing? harder and more rigorous academically to where you were like, man, I don't even know how this is really helping me, changing me, whatever, I just need to get through this. Whereas the writing process was like, man, I'm digging in here, I'm seeing how this is changing me and my affections and my relationship with Christ, or, or I, I don't know. Yeah. No, that's good. And I, I think all of it, if I was, if I, if I were writing a dissertation, and this, the, the this, what I'm getting ready to say might make some dissertations seem meaningless or unnecessary, but if I were writing a dissertation on like a, a, a grammatical tag, uh, you know, a certain phrase in Hebrew grammar, and just trying to flesh it out for all it's worth, and this is what it means, and this is what it, you know, I mean, that, that has been done. If I were doing that, it might be more difficult to find... Uh, deep affections in that. I, I don't. I don't know how you get affected by grammar. <laughs> I just don't. I don't know. Maybe you do. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it would be akin in English to us writing a dissertation on a semicolon. Mm-hmm. When to use it? How to use it? How's it used in different places? Like, if that affects you, then. You're, you're a whole different breed and praise the Lord for you, but like... Yeah. It would affect my sleep life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very much. <laughs> uh, if, if that's you, then hallelujah, but that's not me. So for me personally, the fact that I was looking into um, evidences for the person and work of Christ in all of Scripture, and of course all that we do being for the honor and glory of Christ to be learning on a regular basis about Him in all of scripture was, was very fascinating and, and joyful, you know, so, um, I've got a notebook back in the, uh, back in my office. That's a three inch binder and, and it is full of every occurrence of the word Memra, the word Shekinah and the word, the word Yekera, uh, from the Targums, every occurrence is in there. And I sat and looked through every single one of them and the vast majority, uh, I say vast majority, I mean, probably 60%, not, not the ton of the majority were just, uh, okay, that's the word memory. I can't make anything out of, I, I can't, there's not a good connection to Christ right there. I mean, 
I can probably come up with something, but I'm not going to stretch these further than they than exegetically I can. But dude, the other 40% that I think rather clearly pointed to Christ were just uh, moments of joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just like, look at that. Things like um, things like the the memory of the Lord waging war against Amalek and the memory of the Lord waging war against the Canaanites. Um, you get this picture of the word of the Lord as a warrior. Well, that's exactly what we see in Revelation 19, mm-hmm. which is the only other place that John calls Jesus the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, both places in John 1 and in Revelation 19, when John explicitly calls Jesus the Word, they both have direct and explicit connections to how the Targums present the Memra. And so then, you know, we can go back to the stories of, uh, of Israel defeating Amalek and this, the Israel defeating the Canaanites. And, and I think, I, you know, again, this is where you have to be careful, but I think we can go back to those passages and say that Christ fought for his people, mm-hmm. even in the Old Testament, because mm-hmm. I think that's how John is reading it, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so those, you know, I'm sitting there reading along and uh, in uh, the... The, the word of the Lord uh, rescued Israel from Egypt, redeemed Israel from Egypt. Well, yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and even though there's a textual variant and there's a lot of text critical issues related to Jude 5, it's exactly what he said. Yeah. And he's not yeah. afraid to use extra biblical literature. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you yeah. see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so things like that, you just, you know, I'm reading along even in the pre-writing and I, in, a, in the study and in the grind and I'm like, unbelievable. There it is. Yeah. There's our savior yeah. right there in the old Testament, the writing process, you know, just fleshing all of that out onto paper. Um, you know, it just is what it is. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I like language. I like the use of words. So, you know, in some sense it was even a little bit of a challenge to just ask the Lord to give me creativity with language to explain these things well and you know i don't know that i did that i know at one point um dr fuller asked me to um he said you need to do a you need to do a word search in your dissertation for every word that ends in ly and take it out Mm. so i must have been uh i must have had a nice use of uh (laughs) adverbs throughout there um so so you know i had to clean it up and make it a little more direct but um, even the writing was, you know, was fun for me, tedious and long and a lot of 4 a.m. mornings, but, um, but it was, uh, it was good. It's done. And I, in the middle of it, it was rough. You know, we, um, there were a lot of times, I, I know there was one time I'll just throw this out there for full transparency. I, um, had turned in a chapter, was waiting to hear back from it and had already had some chapters sent back and thrown out and, just take that whole thing out, you know, things of that nature. And you're just getting kind of discouraged by the whole process. And I had sent in a chapter and, um, got an email back from Dr. Fuller, uh, something like, this is it. This is what I'm talking about. This is a good chapter. This is how it ought to be done. And, uh, I'm sitting in the chair over here in our living room and Liz is sitting in the, on the couch and I just started crying mm-hmm. because I was so happy that that I had gotten something back that was acceptable and positive and, and that sort of thing. So, so there, there were times that the writing was and just that process was very gut wrenching, so to speak. But even in those moments, I told Liz, "I'm like, I, the funny thing is, we're going to look back on this and probably say yeah, it wasn't that bad." 
yeah. you know, I think Ryan would probably remind me that it was that bad, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. at this point. But, um, but you know, it, it, looking back on it, it was, um, regardless of what was going on between me and Dr. Fuller with getting things approved and, and whatever was going on with, you know, the rest of our lives as a family and, and distractions, however, you know, however you want to say that, regardless of what was going on there, the, the learning, the diving in, the digging for gold that happened between me and the Lord in the scriptures was just uh, absolutely joyful. So, so last, last thing I kind of want to dig into. I actually had somebody who knew I was in seminary ask me how long I was going to be in cemetery, and they were like, I didn't mean cemetery. <laughs> I meant, uh, what's the other word? But, I mean, you've been all the way through, and you have... Uh, you know, the PhD. So would you say going to seminary, uh, even at an MDiv or a PhD level, how, how do you stay away from the cemetery mentality of, well, you're just a dry academic person versus you have that vibrant relationship with Jesus? Yeah, that's a good question. So first off, you, uh, you have to have the right perspective, and, and that perspective has to be built on on seeing... Christ's glory in all of life. So, of course, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. And I would add, in Christ, yeah. <laughs> um, if I may. Uh, you may. Okay, <laughs> Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, according to Hebrews 1. So, I think it fits. Um, so, do all things for the glory of God in Christ. If that's your perspective going in, if that's your big picture goal then whether you're translating Hebrew or whether you're writing a systematic theology paper or whether you're sitting in a three-hour lecture on Baptist history, you will hopefully be reminding yourself that this is all for the glory of God. And no matter how long I'm here, I'm still meeting my big overarching goal, namely to glorify God in Christ. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so if you have that kind of stand-back big picture of why you're there, the dry mundane things can even be quote redeemed for the glory of God mm-hmm. um, because you're still accomplishing that, that major goal. I would say, yes, go to seminary. There's no reason not to. Piper has said before, uh, you know, related to just Bible study and digging into the scriptures that we shouldn't rake for leaves across the top, but we should dig for gold. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, digging for gold in the Bible requires uh, you know, a set of skills yeah. and it's not a set of skills that, um, that your common lay person can't acquire. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone is able to, to figure these things out. You don't have to have a knowledge of Greek and Hebrew to do that. Those certainly help, but, um, you don't have to have that knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. However, if you do, I think I can say that the golden nuggets get a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. if that, Makes any sense? Yeah. Or maybe I would say that the gold nuggets are a little more, they're supported a little bit better. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. yeah so so somebody, you don't have to have a knowledge of Greek and Hebrew to, uh, or even biblical theology or hermeneutics. You don't have to have uh, classroom skills in those areas to see some connections, to see the the beauty of the English language in the, in, in the English Bible and the gospel and, and, and the truths of scripture. But if you have that knowledge of Greek and Hebrew, a lot of those gold nuggets just get clarified, mm. and and they get um, 
more um, confident. You're, you're more confident that that is an accurate way to understand Scripture. So I hope that makes sense. That's that's probably a good way to say it. But but if that's the case, if if your desire is to more confidently exposit the Scriptures for people, for a church, for your family, as a as a husband and a dad, seminary is obviously not for anybody. Not it's not for everybody, but. If you have the opportunity to do it and you feel like that's where the Lord is leading you, then absolutely. There's there's no reason not to, regardless of the amount of time it takes. I started in 2003 and graduated in 2015. So that's a long time. That's about half my life. That's a long time. <laughs> what did you say? What, that's, oh, that's about half my what, life. There was yeah. one... Uh, there was one time before what, when we said I started in 2003. What were you doing in 2003? Uh, I was... Uh, I don't even think I was in middle high school. school. I think I was in like eighth grade. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, so anyway, that's, uh, that's when I started. I, I did, I took a year off, um, in 04, 05 school year. Um, that was the year we got married. And then, uh, my wife, Liz finished her, uh, undergraduate degree in Tennessee. So, uh, we lived there for a year. I took a couple of J terms and, and that sort of thing that year, but, um, yeah, I started in 03 and finished in 2015 and I have no regrets. I have no regrets. We have lived life. We have been part of a church that focuses on your family first. Um, of course, the Lord first, but then your family has a natural outworking of the Lord being first. If you go to seminary and your family suffers because you're in seminary, then you need to get out. Um, not of your family. I'm not of your family. You need to get out of seminary. That's just right. Just to clarify that. That's right. And uh, so, so yeah, I have no regrets um, on that at all. Again, having that big picture mindset of whatever you do, do all for the glory of God is has been helpful to me over the years to just see. You know, I, I can think of times just grinding away on papers, and then you get to the end of it, and you just think, hey, praise the Lord. There's, there's more understanding, there's more evidence, there's more nuggets of gold that have just been planted in my heart and in my brain. So, praise the Lord. That's great. Adam, thanks so much for, for doing that. I know we'll probably touch on this uh, throughout the podcast in different times and areas, even as I continue to read through it. And I'm, I'm looking for some Aramaic or whatever I'm learning as I'm, I'm reading through that. Yeah, if anybody, uh, not that anybody cares, but um, the title of the dissertation is Finding Christ in the Old Testament Through the Aramaic Memra, Shekinah, and Yekera of the Targums. Um, and it, it can be found on uh, the uh, Southern Seminary Library website. Is that where you found right. it? I found it earlier, but the digital collections, dissertations, and theses, something like that. There's a series yeah. you can get to it there. but Yeah, we can put something up on online for people to go Great. find that if they want to. So for all you seminarians out there that need to boost your uh, bibliographies, we'll, uh, we'll get that out there. And if you me. don't know Aramaic, I think there are English translations for yeah, almost everything, right? Yeah. 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 For people that don't know anything like me. So that's good. <laughs> that's good. But in the meantime, this will do it for Oaks of Righteousness podcast. Remember that there is ultimate joy to be pursued in this life, and it's in Jesus Christ. Pursue Him.